Our lives consist of a series of decisions, mostly small and inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. But every so often, one comes to the proverbial fork in the road, facing a decision which can change one's life irrevocably, producing repercussions which may continue far past death. This is Mark Lyon. Welcome to the Other Realm. Throughout my life, I've collected true accounts left to us by those who have inadvertently crossed the invisible threshold from our world into the realm of the supernatural and returned to tell the tale. These are their stories. A fateful decision occurred in the year 1876. It was Flora Summerton's 18th birthday, and it should have been the happiest day of her life. Her father, Charles Benbow Summerton, was one of the richest men in San Francisco, and in just a few hours she was to make her debut into the glittering world of the city's most privileged and elite social circle, wearing a beautiful white tulle gown covered throughout with thousands of tiny, iridescent, hand-sewn crystal beads. It would be a moment of which most young women could only dream, but all was not as perfect as it might seem. Her parents had decided she would soon marry Hugh Partridge, a man whom she did not love and whom she knew she could never come to love. He was shallow and weak-willed, an arrogant fop known best for an embarrassing nervous laugh and a questionable moral history. He was everything she detested most. No, she could never marry him. But she knew that her mother, bent on using the marriage to elevate even further her own social position, would not be dissuaded. There was only one answer. She would flee her Knob Hill home and all the luxury, privilege, and comfort which went with it. Shortly after lunch, she told her mother that she was going out for a walk. With trembling hands, she opened the ornate front doors one last time and headed down the hill toward a shop on California Street. A large package, carefully wrapped in brown paper, tucked tightly under her arm. Upon reaching the shop, she presented a note she had written and asked a delivery boy to give it to her mother when he made his rounds later that day. He delivered the note to the Summerton mansion early that evening, but everyone was so busy preparing for the debut that the envelope remained unopened until, at last, Flora's mother realized she was missing. Only then did someone remember the note. In a few short, sad lines, Flora explained that she could not endure the prospect of marrying Hugh and she had determined to make her own way in the world. 
she had taken with her money and jewelry with which to make a start and asked her parents not to think her heartless her distraught father and aunt wanted to summon the police immediately her mother however was made of sterner stuff she was not going to jeopardize her social standing with a scandal no the ball would go on just as planned they would say that flora had taken ill at the last minute and had been sent away to the country to recuperate there would be more than enough time the following day to find her quietly the Summertons brazened their way through the evening and later the next day informed the police of their daughter's disappearance assuming she would turn up unharmed flora however proved to be far more elusive than anyone could ever have anticipated it was soon apparent that she had left the city and in the months which followed what would become a worldwide search was begun a reward of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars was offered for information leading to her return sparking tips and rumors from across the country many of the leads were only the result of wishful thinking but from time to time she actually was sighted and the news of her discovery was sent on to san francisco each time however she managed to remain one step ahead of her pursuers like many wealthy girls of her day flora had been given singing lessons as a part of a proper upbringing and although she had not been blessed with a professional quality voice she had hoped that she might at least be able to support herself as a voice teacher when she surfaced about three years later at a boarding house in kansas city carrying little in the way of baggage and a large brown paper parcel she tried her hand at giving voice and piano lessons she managed to attract a few students but her musical talents were minimal and it was not long before all of her students left her having realized they could do better elsewhere it was about this time that one of her neighbors began to wonder if the music teacher might be the same woman a local newspaper had described as being sought in san francisco and she mentioned her suspicion to flora's landlady the landlady informed the police but before they got back to the house flora had vanished in such haste that she had left behind a few of her now meagre possessions she had taken with her however the large brown paper parcel years passed and when the 1906 fire swept across Knob Hill, her parents' mansion burned to the ground. Later, after Flora's father died, her mother called off the detectives, ending the search for their daughter. It would be years before the next piece of the puzzle would fall into place. It came in the form of a letter from Adele Leblanche, the prima donna of a traveling opera company while appearing in chicago a few months before miss leblanche had sprained her ankle and her understudy had to go on in her place the understudy however was more slender than the star and none of her costumes fit 
a tired-looking middle-aged woman who was serving as a dresser to the women in the chorus suggested that she might be able to help. The woman went home and brought back a large, rumpled and soiled brown paper package. She carefully opened the package to reveal a white tulle evening gown fit for a fairy tale princess. It was covered in dazzling crystal beads and was so stunning that after recovering, Miss LeBlanche asked the dresser if she might purchase it in the hope of having it altered to fit her. A look of sadness came into the older woman's eyes, and for a few moments she found it difficult to speak. No, I can't sell it. It is the only link with my past, she explained. It is Knob Hill and all that I might have been. Then, with a look of panic, she took the dress into her arms and fled from the theater, never again to return. Over the years, rumors of Flora Summerton continued to find their way across the country to San Francisco. But in 1916, her mother died, and no one but those eager to claim the reward still cared. In 1926, a woman calling herself Mrs. Butler, who had worked for the last ten years as a maid at the Butte Central Hotel in Butte, Montana, was found dead in her room, the apparent victim of a heart attack. In a nearby valise, the police found a collection of yellowed clippings from newspapers across the country telling of the worldwide search for Flora Summerton. The woman was found lying on the bed in her bleak hotel room, dressed in a white crystal ball gown. Ever since, the slender figure of a young woman dressed in a white crystal gown has, from time to time, been reported walking slowly up a side street toward the crest of Knob Hill. She smiles wistfully to those who pass by, perchance reliving that day so very long ago on which she made the decision which would change her life forever. Few accounts of a rash act leading to eternal regret can compare with the events which took place at the star-shaped military installation of Charles Fort in County Cork, Ireland. Built in the 17th century to guard the harbor of Kinsale, the fort was commanded early in its history by a colonel feared by his men or his harsh methods of maintaining military discipline. According to legend, the colonel's daughter, a young lady with the unfortunate first name of Wilful, fell in love with a Sir Trevor Ashurst. While strolling along the ramparts of the fort on the evening of their wedding, Wilful noticed some pretty wildflowers growing amidst the rocks below the wall and expressed a wish that she might have them. 
her comment was overheard by a sentry who gallantly volunteered to climb down the wall and pick the flowers if her new husband would take his place on guard duty while he attempted to gather the flowers sir trevor eagerly agreed both taking the sentry's musket and donning his coat while the sentry went off in search of a rope with which to lower himself down the fort's high walls as the evening was becoming cold wilful went indoors to await the sentry's return unfortunately the sentry's task took much longer than anyone had anticipated and sir trevor no doubt weary from the day's festivities and perhaps under the influence of too many nuptial toasts, eventually lapsed into a deep sleep. Not long after, the colonel, in the course of his nightly rounds, came upon what he took to be a sentry asleep on duty. Enraged when the sentry failed to respond to his superior's challenge, the colonel took steady aim and shot the sentry through the heart. It was only when the body of the sleeping man was brought indoors that the colonel realized he had killed his own son-in-law. When Wilful became aware of what had happened, tears flowing from her eyes, she ran up to the top of the battlement and threw herself down onto the rocks below. Unable to bear the horror of all that his rash act had engendered, the colonel again drew his pistol and ended his own life ever since the white lady of charles fort has been reported to haunt the scene of the triple tragedies one evening around the year eighteen eighty two officers assigned to the fort captain marvel hull and a lieutenant hartland were heading towards the lieutenant's room when they both clearly observed the figure of a woman in a white dress standing upon the landing her face they remembered though beautiful was completely devoid of color it was the face of a corpse the lady then turned away from them and passed through a locked door around the turn of the last century a major black reported seeing a ghostly woman in white old-fashioned attire ascend a staircase near the hall door black ran up the staircase and followed the phantom to where she entered a room upon his entering the room however there was no one to be seen the white lady seems to have a particular affinity for children on one occasion the young daughter of a sergeant at the fort asked her father who is that white lady bending over the banisters and looking down at us while neither her father nor another sergeant there at the time saw the mysterious lady the little girl was absolutely certain that she had seen the white lady gently smiling down upon her on another evening a nurse tending to the children of the staff officer living in the governor's house observed the white lady to float over to the youngest child's bed and after a few moments gently touched the sleeping child upon the wrist immediately the child awakened and cried out aloud oh take that cold hand from my wrist 
and the white lady vanished. The Other Realm is a production of Wind Whistle Theatre. Our music was composed by Dan Heflin. Support for The Other Realm has been provided by HauntedIsles.com, offering private and small group tours of haunted Britain and Ireland, and by Wind Whistle Press, publishers of everything you ever wanted to know about ghosts but were afraid to ask by Mark Lyon and San Francisco Ghosts by Mark Lyon and Jesse Adelaide Middleton's classic trilogy of true tales of the supernatural, The White Ghost Book, The Grey Ghost Book, and its sequel, Another Grey Ghost Book, and Lep Castle, The House of Horrors, by Mildred Darby, and by Heftone Studios, producers of Phantoms of the Holbrook, a docudrama relating true events occurring at what well may be the most haunted hotel in the entire world, and Natalie, a modern retelling of the German legend of the Lorelei.